Well, hello everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Well, I, I'm going to imagining I'm seeing you this morning. Uh, me and Leslie went on a bike ride yesterday to Market Wheaton and uh, it was really good, apart from I haven't been on a bike ride for quite a while uh, and it was quite bumpy. So now my legs and other parts of me are, are struggling a bit this morning because of that journey. Uh, but I'll try and sit in this chair and not wriggle too much to, just to give you a little heads up. Uh, let, let's start with the Bible this morning. Uh, I'm in Exodus, Exodus 16. If you could turn there, we're going to get straight into the scriptures. Exodus 16 verse 3 and we talk we're looking at the giving of manna a story which I'm sure I'm sure most of you know the sons of Israel said to them would that would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat when we ate bread to the full you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. A bit melodramatic, but there we go. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they walk in my instruction. There's a few things I, I, I want to bring out of this passage. The first thing I want to say is like they're grumbling, they're moaning and yet still God answers their prayer. Maybe it's, it's all right to grumble at God sometimes but, but I just want you to imagine what's going on. The Israelites, they're in the wilderness. They've escaped uh, from this slavery in Egypt and now the reality of their their journey is starting to bite, it's starting to hurt. When they were there in Egypt dreaming of being free, I don't think they quite pictured being hungry and thirsty and on, on the edge of dying of hunger in the wilderness. That's the first thing I want to bring up. The second thing is this. God says he is going to provide for them. He is going, he's going to listen to their grumblings and he's going to give them bread. And as we read on, he's also going to give them meat. But he's going to use the giving of bread as a way to test them in walking with him. Let me put it into, into a, a way we would more understand. He's going to use it as a discipleship lesson, discipleship journey, so he can grow and mature the Israelites into maturity of faith. God will use our requests and our needs for him being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He will use these things not only to feed us because he will feed us. He loves us and he cares for us and he, will, he is there as our provider, but he loves us so much. He will also use these things to, to change us, to grow us because he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to, to say children. He wants us to grow into the maturity of faith. Let's pick up the story again in verse 12. It says this. God's saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, he's talking to Moses, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails, which are birds, came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Now, we all know this is manna. But look what happens in verse 14. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, I love that word, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. 
I don't know about you. I mean, I've got the benefit of hindsight. I know this story. I've, I got it in Sunday school. I, I've read this story many times. I'm, but I'm there reading going, how did the Israelites not know that what was on the floor was manna? How did they not know that? God has said he was going to rain down bread from heaven in the morning. Oh, wait a minute. It didn't rain bread, did it? There was a Jew and then on the ground, there was a flaky like substance. And the Israelites are going around and going, what is it? What is it? What is it? Do you know the word they were actually using? Well, our anglicized version of the word manna. What? Manna. Manna means what is it? What is it? And it takes the prophet Moses to reveal that manna is the bread from heaven that God has promised. I, oft, I, I wonder how often we pray to our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. And then we stare at heaven, waiting for the provision to fall from heaven, not realizing that we're already surrounded by the, by the provision that he's given us. We just don't recognize it for being the bread that it is. I wonder how many times we have rejected the provision of God because or the works of God because we've looked at it and we thought it was too flaky. I wonder how many times we've rejected God's power or God's glory because we have looked at the container, the, the jar of clay that it came in and decided that was too earthly. It's not what I thought. The message of my, of my uh, message today is it's not what I thought. In 2020, in January 2020, I bet you did not think this year was going to pan out the way it has. If you had, then, then you were right on the prophetic money. You must have a really good relationship with God because I didn't. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've ever got your dream job or maybe for some of our people listening, you're going to start a new school and you'll have, you'll imagine what it's going to be like. You may even dream of what it's going to be like, what a holiday is going to be like. And then yet when you get to this new office, this new school, this holiday or whatever it may be, you get there and you realise it's not what I thought it would be like. Or oh, let's make it spiritual. We get a word from God. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a prophecy on our lives. And yet when it actually happens, we go, wow, that's not what I thought it would be like. That's happened to me many times. I hear the voice of God. He, he, he gives me a picture. He tells me something. And then as I get to the fulfillment of that word, somehow it wasn't what I dreamed. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, our God is able to provide for us abundantly more above what we ask, dream or imagine. Why do you think that God would always answer us according to our own understanding when he's able to answer us way bigger? Interesting thing about this manna, the Israelites had asked for bread. So the Israelites, they, they got up, they, they took up this manna, they ground it down, they made it into bread, they cooked it. And the taste of this bread didn't taste like bread. The Bible says it tasted like, let me get this right, honey and no, it's not that. Honey with wafers, honey with wafers. It's like 
God, you, we say to God, God, I need some bread. And he goes, I can give you some bread, but I tell you what, I'm going to take you to an ice cream shop. We're going to have a massive ice cream sundae full of chocolate, sprinkles, whatever. God often answers us abundantly more than we actually asked him for. We ask him for bread, he gives us dessert. That is how good our God is for us. But let us go back to what this manna was. You see, I understand why the Israelites were confused. God said it would rain bread from heaven. Well, it didn't rain bread from heaven, unless you talk that mist, maybe, maybe that is it. But that's not what I understand. I, I thought there'd be loaves of bread falling out of heaven. One, it didn't rain. Secondly, it wasn't bread. It was like seeds, uh, coriander seeds is what the Bible says it, it was like. I would imagine to you, you're there on a Saturday night, you've had a really good day out. Maybe you've been biking to Market Reading like I was. You, you've had a really good day out and it's Saturday evening, you just want to chill out. You don't want to cook a meal. So you get your uh, takeaway menus and you order up a takeaway pizza. You wait half an hour, maybe an hour, maybe two hours if it's really busy. And then there's a knock on the door and you open the door and you find on your doorstep, rather than the pizza, you find some wheat, some milk, and some tomatoes. The ingredients to make a pizza rather than the pizza itself. I don't know about you, I would be ringing up that pizza company and complaining, want my money back. I want a pizza, I want it now. I don't want to wait, I owe I went to you because I didn't want to have to do anything. But God often answers us, not with the finished product. He often answers us with a seed that needs to go through a process. It needs to go through a grinding. It needed to be baked so that it can be presented in what he promised in the first place, bread. God does this with us the whole time. God does this over the Bible. Think about David, King David. He's there as a shepherd boy in a field. And Samuel comes and he anoints him as king of Israel. What happens next? David goes back to the field. He doesn't go to the palace. Then there's this whole process and, and he goes and plays in the palace and then he fights Goliath. And then he's, then he's hunted by Saul. And then he falls into a company with, with, with liars and, and a whole load of criminals. And there's this whole process between David being anointed king of Israel until him actually becoming king. There was a process. What about Joseph, Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph? He has a dream of his family bowing down to him. Now, foolishly enough, he goes and tells his brothers who then beat him up. He then gets uh, sold into slavery. He then gets thrown into prison and left there to rot for a crime he never committed. Only then he's pulled out when he answers a dream to become the prime, it's like the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command. And then his family come and bow down. It's interesting Joseph was given that promise and yet there was a journey, there was a process that happened before Joseph had that dream fulfilled. What was happening in that process? He was probably being made humble. He was being made strong. What was happening to David in his process? He was learning what it is to lead people. He was being strengthened and he was being humbled. I think with many of us, we get that. God tells us something. He gives us a calling on our lives. We immediately want to run after it. And God goes, no, 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 wait a minute. There's a process. I'm showing you what the finished article is, but there's a process to get to it. And if you're anything like me, you know, you hear what God says to you and you go, oh, 
is all for the glory of God. But inside you're thinking, oh, it's going to be great to do that. Oh, God has chosen me for that. And this kind of like pride, I'm just trying to be honest, this pride kind of wells up with inside. This is what I'm going to be. And I'm going to shout about it. And then in the process, God refines you so that when you get actually are in the office of what he asked you to do, you can not only bear the weight, but it's not about what it is for me. It's about serving others and serving him. There's like a humility that comes. There's a strengthening that comes. There's a training. It's called discipleship, a discipleship journey so that you can actually hold the responsibility that God has given you. Let me just bring something else. The Israelites did not recognise the manna as food. It needed the prophet Moses to say, this is what God had promised. So often we get it, we, we hear something from God and we just want to run straight after it, not realising that God wants to use this as a process. God is more in, sometimes more interested in the journey than the destination. He wants to use everything as a discipleship journey so that not only do we hear what he has for us, but then we walk in step with the Spirit every step along, listening, learning, walking, so that when the answer comes, when the provision comes, we hear the voice of God. Not only that it's going to happen, but it's here now and this is what I promised. It's so important that we learn to walk with God. Jesus even said, bread, that's not my food. Hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of my Father is my food. Well, let's talk about Jesus because Jesus is the bread of heaven. When the bread of heaven, Jesus, came to earth, he was not what people thought he should be. When, when Jesus touched the leper, when he spent time with the prostitutes, when he ate with notorious sinners, the Pharisees who had devoted themselves to learning all about the Christ, seeing what he was doing, thought that's not what I thought the Christ would do and so rejected him. The people, the crowds that surrounded Jesus were expecting the Messiah to release them from the chains of captivity from the Roman Empire. And then when Jesus says, oh, no, 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 you've got it what? It's, it's not what you thought. I'm not here to release you from those chains. I've, there's something bigger, way above what you're understanding. I've come here to release you from the chains of death and sin. Let's go to the cross. We know what happens through the cross, so we wear the cross. We see it as a victory sign. But when you go to the first Good Friday or the good first Good Thursday, depending on how you understand it, Jesus is there hanging on a tree. His body is broken. It looks like he has lost. The disciples, the tw even the 12, they have heard what Jesus has said about going to the cross. They've heard everything and yet still they see him arrested. They see him on that cross and they think it's all over. This is not how I thought it would end. Even a couple of days later, they're there thinking that all is lost. The Pharisees, they're there around, around Jesus being crucified, thinking, brilliant, we've done it. We've wiped out this heresy that Jesus was bringing. We've wiped this out. And then the hell is having a victory party that they've got the Son of God on the cross. But it's not what it seemed. 
Jesus went into hell and rather than being imprisoned in hell, he released the captives. He took the keys away and he set people free. So for anyone who believes in the name of Jesus shall not die, but shall have eternal life. It was not what they thought. A few years ago, I was, I was doing some street ministry on streets and one of the questions I used to love and, and going and, and talking to people was this, according to heaven, not sorry, according to the Bible, how do you get to heaven? Now, the, the normal answer came back and you, could, you, could, you can guess it already. People would say, well, good people go to heaven and, and bad people go to hell. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And so I would say, well, actually, no, that, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that no man is perfect, that we all fall short, that we, we can't get to heaven. But Jesus, the Son of God, came and he died on a cross. And on that cross, he paid for everything that you've ever done wrong. He's taken the blame for it. So that if you ask forgiveness for him and you believe in him and you say that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You will go to heaven. If I ever got that far in a conversation, which, to be honest, I normally did, if we got that far, guess what? Most people would say, yes, and then it would be very easy for you to lead them into a prayer of salvation. I remember this one boy. I, I, I did something very similar. You know, within in two, three minutes, we've gone through the gospel, and he's there saying that he wants to become a Christian. He wants to say a sinner's prayer. He wants to go to heaven. And so he says this, and then and then he runs off, to, to my annoyance, really. He just, he just ran off. And then... Uh, a few minutes later, well, a few minutes, probably about 10, 20 minutes later, he comes and finds me again. I'm, I've moved on to this, this shopping area. It's actually in Long Hill Estate. And he's brought his friend and he goes, tell my friend what you told me. And then he ran off again. And so I, I tell his friend and his friend, go, we go through, go through it with his friend and his friend then says a sinner's prayer. And then when I finish with this friend, this guy's back again and he's brought someone else. And he says, tell this guy now, tell this guy now. We're having like this, what we would call a mini revival. People are just giving their lives to Jesus, all on what I was telling them. But this is what I found in that case and in so many cases when we were sharing the gospel on the street. It was so easy to get people to say a sinner's prayer. They were jumping at it. But to get them into church, to get them into discipleship, to get them to change their ways, oh, no, that was a whole different ball game. To get them into a life of discipleship, we really, really struggled. And I came to understand why. They didn't need it. From the gospel we were preached, it was like, I've got my ticket to heaven. I believe in Jesus. You said going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You said reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. You said doing good things doesn't get you to heaven. It's believing in Jesus and saying that he is Lord. I believe in Jesus and I say he is Lord. I get there. And it made me start to think, is the gospel I know really the gospel that Jesus preached? Let's go back to what Jesus said. Jesus didn't talk about prayers to start your salvation. Jesus says something very simple. He said, come, follow me. Salvation for Jesus wasn't just an event. Salvation for Jesus was, the f was a lifetime journey following in the footsteps of Jesus. In other words, it's a discipleship journey, a process where you're learning to walk in the steps of God. Jesus also didn't make it easy for people. Jesus would say things like, if you love your mum or your dad or your, or your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. He would say, if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. 
He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. To get this treasure in the field, you have to sell everything that you have. And some people, he told them literally to sell everything that they had. Sell everything that you have. So you abandon it all. So you get this one treasure. He talked about laying your life down. I think too much time is spent in, in, in churches now. And we get the impression that Christianity is about a life improvement program. It's not. Jesus said, lay your life down. You say, you, you change this. You say, I have a life and my life isn't worth going to heaven. But guess what Jesus says? You lay it down at the cross. You lay your life down and I will give you eternal life. And now the life I live, I live by faith. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus lives through me. It's his lordship in my body. It's a sacrifice. Jesus talks about the cost we, we say, and um, this is a common frame, salvation is, a fr is free, but it will cost you everything. What does that mean? Salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Well, let's go back to the manna, because I think we can explain it with the manna. The Israelites are surrounded by this substance. They don't know what it is. The first thing you need to do is realise what the substance is around you. We need to realise who the bread of life is, Jesus. You have to realise who Jesus is. But it's not just good recognising him. You have to pick him up. It's free. Jesus is free. We pick him up. But that's not the end of the story. For the manna to become to the, into the fullness, for the manna to become into bread, there needs to be, it needs to go through the mill. And it needs to go through the fire. It needs to go through a process so that what was picked up is is put into what it should be. I'm not really talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about what Jesus was talking about so many times. He says, what is it to, re to receive eternal life, to inherit the kingdom? To inherit the kingdom, you have to pick up your cross and follow him. It's a life laying down your life and picking up his. It's not something we often talk about in churches, especially not in the West. But it's all there in the Bible. Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 17, he says this, we are co-heirs with Christ, co-heirs with Christ, children of God. And we can share in everything that Jesus won at the cross. We can share in the glory of it if we will share in his suffering. Or let me, let me take this passage also by Paul, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within, so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. Talking about treasure in clay jars. Very next verse. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but we're not out. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our own bodies so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our, our humanity. Let me read that again. We continually share in the death of Jesus. We nail our passions and our desires to the cross so that the resurrection life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. Verse 11, we consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our 
humanity. There is a process that goes on. Jesus never said, but when you said yes to him, it would be a bed of roses. He is the God of the mountain and he is also the God of the valley. He's the God who takes us beside pools of still water and he's also the God who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. Where to? To our inheritance, to inheriting the kingdom of God. It is often said, if we pray for patience, how does God answer it? God answers it by sending us someone who you need to be patient with, annoying, irritable. You see, if you truly get supernatural patience from God, the fruit of the Spirit, which is supernatural patience, it needs to be tested, it needs to be proved. You need to be put into a situation where only supernatural patience will get you through. Jesus talked about a wise builder and a foolish builder. The wise builder, what made him wise? He heard the voice of God and he built on what he heard. What's he doing? He's walking in step, in step with Jesus. He's hearing what God is saying. He's connected and he's putting things into his life step by step. How is the foolish and the wise builder revealed? It's when the storm comes, before the storm. The, the foolish builder is having a house and is probably living life a lot happier than the one in, in, in the stone because he hasn't had to build the foundations. He's had lots of time to do stuff. But when the storm comes, the one who is the foolish builder, who's built his hand on the sand, who hasn't had this life journey of discipleship, his house falls. And yet the one who has, the wise builder, stands tall in the, in the storm. Jesus said in this life, you will have many troubles, but I have overcome the world. Sometimes, and I love it when this happens and we see it a lot, God demonstrates his power through these earthen bodies when we have instant healings, when we have instant answers, we have miracles. And that is one way God shows his power. But there's a second. He shows it when we still carry on believing in him no matter what the storm that is hit upon us. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're there. They're, they're suffering persecution. What do they say? We will not bow down. We will have to go into that fire. And if God is for us, he'll come for us. And even if he doesn't, we will still say that our God is Lord. And what does God do? He shows up in the fire. What am I saying to you? I'm saying this, that when the storms hit our lives, I'm not saying God sent them. I'm just saying that he allows us to walk through them. When the storms heal our lives, the thing which brought us salvation in the first place is the thing which will continue to bring us salvation through the storm, to declare that Jesus is Lord and to believe in him. You see, it's not just the start. The Bible says this, we have been saved, we are being saved and we will be saved. What's that mean? It means that I'm on a life journey of God saving me and saving me and refining me. He saved me from my sin and now he's saving me. He's, he's refining me. He's got this on my journey and I'm being refined and being made more and more into his image. And then at some point there'll be heaven and everything will be complete. But while I'm in this, there is a process going on. It's a process of discipleship. So no matter what storm has hit you, no matter what happens against us, the test of faith is this. Can we still say, Jesus is Lord, despite my circumstance. I'm still going to believe in the goodness of God, no matter 
what hits me. Let me tell you a story. And I'm sure you've known it because it's a well-known story about a woman who goes to a silversmith to watch the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that says in Malachi 3 verse 3, he sits as refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. The man answered it, yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled and answered, oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. 2 Corinthians says this, we are being transformed from glory to glory into the very image of Christ. And then it talks about glory in clay jars as we've read. Our God is the God who not only redeems us or transforms us, but he's also the God who walks with us through trials and tribulations. Why does he allow things to happen in our lives? So that we can mature, so that we can grow. Some of you, why am I saying this today? Because I believe some of you, you're going for a trial at this time. I don't need to be prophetic to know that because I know loads of people are going through trials at this time, but you're going for a trial at this time. Maybe it's because of, of, of the restrictions. Maybe it's because of sickness. Maybe it's because family issues, whatever it is. You're going for a trial at this time and you're thinking, where is God? God is the one who leads you. His rod and his staff protect you as you go through the valley of Shadow. God is the one who sits with you in the boat as it goes through the storm. He hasn't left you. You haven't, you haven't lost him. Reach out and touch him. Some of you may be thinking, everything's going wrong. What did I do wrong? You may be right in the position that God wants you to be. Think what Joseph went through. Think what David went through. Think what Moses went through. There is a process that God has got you, his refiner's fire, to change you and grow you into all you can be so that you can inherit the kingdom of God. So there's those who are going through a trial and they need encouragement. There's also others. And this is, this is what I felt led to bring right at the end. You've had your foot in the fire. You've had your foot in the, the, in the fire of discipleship and you felt the burn, you felt the heat, you felt the pressure, you felt the wilderness and you've taken your foot out of the fire. You've taken your body out of the fire because it's too hot. Too many times I'm seeing a church where Jesus pays everything and we pay nothing. Too many times I'm seeing us not singing songs like I surrender all because we've realised it's a lie. But rather than addressing the hypocrisy in our heart, we buried the song. I'm talking to those who know you should be burning. You should be burning with the fire of God and yet you've gone, you've gone dull, you've gone quiet. And I'm saying, come on, it's time. 
to rise up. It's time to rise up. Take your, your place in the army. God is not raising us up as couch potatoes. He's got us in an assault cast. He's got us in a boot camp. He's there. He's putting us through the way. He's putting us uh, up rigging. He's, he's, he's shouting at us. He's training us to be the soldier, the armies of God. So that we can defeat injustice in this nation. So we can tear down where there is uh, modern day slavery. So, so we can tear down wherever evil reigns, we can tear it down with the light of God. And he is raising up his army now. So there's those which need comfort and there's those which need a boot up there behind so that they can get on with the job that you know you're called to be. And then there's a third people I want to pray for. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never suggested Jesus. Or you said yes, but you didn't actually decide to go on to a discipleship journey. If that is you this morning, I invite you, start this walk with Jesus this morning. It may sound really bad by what I've been saying. It may sound really hard, but I tell you this, you may lose your life, but you will gain eternal life. You may be thinking, I might get a slice of bread. You're going to get an ice cream sundae in the house of God. Not just when you get to heaven, but you're going to get a life full of joy, peace, kindness, mercy, self-control right now. So I'm going to say a prayer. And if you agree with this prayer, I would just like you to say amen at the end. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. Lord, I thank you that you love me and you paid the price for me on that cross. And Jesus, I just want to say, I'm sorry for everything that I've ever done wrong. Lord, I'm sorry where, I have, <laughs> where I've got myself out the fire because I found it too hot, where I've heard your voice and I've not obeyed it, or where I've not said yes to you in the past. But Jesus, right now, I declare that you are Lord of my life. I believe in you. I trust in you. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the storm, I trust in you. I put my faith in you. I put my life in your hands. I lay it down at the foot of the cross. Jesus, will you come and live in me? I want to live for you. I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Amen. Now, if you've never said yes to Jesus before and you're just at the start of this discipleship journey, please email lucy at revivechurch.co.uk or put something in the comments. We'd love to connect with you and help you on with this journey. And before I, I hand back over to Andrew, I, I just want to say something else. I believe there's, there's one or two, and you've heard what I've said today. I would encourage you, don't let this just be an event, but let this be a start of a process, a start of a journey where people have grown cold and, and you know that something's happened. Allow God to refine you. Allow God to lead you. Allow him to be Lord of your life. You may want to spend some time just praying this afternoon or you may want to spend some time listening to music or however you want to respond. But don't lose this opportunity. Come on church, rise up.